Trek Companion. This is episode 88. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's fifth season episodes, Unification, parts one and two, which we're going to do as one discussion, and A Matter of Time. Here we go. Unification, Season 5, Episodes 7 and 8, Production Numbers 208 and 207. Original air dates November 4th and November 11th, 1991. Directed by Les Landau and Cliff Bowl. Story by Rick Berman and Michael Piller. Teleplay by Jerry Taylor and Michael Piller. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Leonard Nimoy as Spock, Malachi Throne as Pardek, Stephen Root as Kavada, Daniel Roebuck as Jaron, Norman Yarge as Neral, Joanna Miles as Perrin, Mark Leonard as Sarek, Graham Jarvis as Clem Dokachin, Eric Ovari as Bichik, Mimi Cozens as Soup Woman, Karen Hensel as Bracket, Majel Barrett as Computer Voice, Denise Crosby as Sila, William Bastiani as Omag, Susan Falender as Romulan Woman, Vidal Pierce Peterson as Datan, and Harriet Leader as Amari. Captain Picard is disturbed to learn that Ambassador Spock has gone on an unauthorized mission to the planet Romulus. Picard immediately travels to Vulcan to speak with Spock's father, Sarek, a close friend with whom he shared a mind meld a year before. The very ill Sarek tells Picard that his son may be in touch with the Romulan Senator Pardic. Soon after, soon after, disguised as Romulans, Picard and Data make their way to Romulus in a cloaked Klingon ship. Picard and Data meet Spock on the planet Romulus. Spock is initially uncooperative when Picard questions him, questions him about the details of the mission. However, the tension is lifted when Picard shares the unhappy news of his father's death. Spock then reveals to Picard that the purpose of his mission is to reunify the Romulus and Vulcans. The revelation shocks Picard, who does not trust the intentions of the Romulan government. You cannot remain here, Captain Picard. And I will not return without a full explanation. Ambassador, with great respect for all that you've achieved on behalf of the Federation, this sort of cowboy diplomacy will not easily be tolerated anymore. Cowboy diplomacy. Unification. You know, over the years, I think this two-parter has taken on, like, the thing that interests me most about it isn't even so much the actual episodes as it is what an effect uh, how far reaching this storyline is kind of within star trek mm-hmm. i mean even within this episode which you know aired uh, a few weeks before star trek 6 came out they're making references to star trek 6 but within the star trek timeline of course that's you know uh 8 decades ish uh, yeah. before um but even you know when you look at um uh, Nemesis, and then a big time the uh, JJ movies, mm-hmm. especially obviously the first one. Um, but that is damn near a sequel to, to this. Especially they have like that that nice little comic series that just. But that comic book series, uh, Countdown or whatever, mm-hmm. it's almost like like a, just bridges the gap between these two episodes and that movie. It's that kind of significant within the Star Trek timeline. Um, I think I enjoy it more for that reason than just about anything else, with the obvious exception of loving Leonard Nimoy, you know, more than just about anybody. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, but it's it's just funny that it's taken on that more than anything else for me because I think the while the episodes are good, they're not they're never quite as 
great as you maybe hope they would have been or you know should have been. I don't know. They're, they're good, you know. But there are there are plenty of other next gen episodes that are, that are far better. Um, if it was the same kind of story and writing, and not Leonard Nimoy, um, I doubt it would be, you know, much to write home about. Uh, oddly enough, I found the first episode to be stronger than the second. <laughs> the first one didn't have Leonard in it too much. Hmm. Uh, but we're talking uh, about him as one. So, all right. Well, we can talk about it however. Go, you know, go ahead. So. Those are your first thoughts? Is that you like the first hour more than the second? Um, yeah. I, the problem I had with the second one is it just um, it just wrapped things up really in a nice, neat bow, kind of just for the episode. I mean, they had to finish it up. It didn't disturb me that much. But I just kind of felt the first one was a little bit more emotional. You know, we had the death of um, Sarek. We, um, I really enjoyed the the scene between Sarek and Picard um, on Vulcan. You know, when just that whole scene... Sarek kind of just comes out of his, um, you know, his state and becomes himself again, and then he slowly goes back. And the, it was a really emotional scene, you know. The, you know, he couldn't couldn't split his fingers, and yeah, I like the music. Really beautiful I like the music. Scene, like you're talking, the way it was kind of the the structure and the blocking, you know, the way it kind of all moves up, both both um, physically and metaphorically. You know, everything kind of moves up to this point, and then kind of comes back down to where it starts. It, it's really it's it's probably like I don't know. It's between that and the, of course, uh, Spock data scene in episode two for my like my favorite scene out of either yeah. piece. Yeah, I really enjoyed that scene. That's probably why I thought it was the strongest scene of the of the whole of the whole show, shows together. So that's probably why I enjoy the first one a little bit more. It's a little bit more. First one is a little bit more emotional, um, which is which is odd. And the second one is just more, um, you know you know plot you know it's plotty you know it's not it's not as emotionally based i mean we get a little bit of a reaction from spock about the death of his father but he's still vulcan he's not going to show you much so second one's more plotting about what's going on the interest you know what's you know all the behind the scenes stuff deception and things like that so steve i don't know if you remember this but you know years ago i remember oh god i don't know this would have been Geez, I don't know, two thousand ish. I think mm-hmm. um, maybe a little later, like after after Nemesis was done, but before they announced JJ. I remember you told me your idea for a Star Trek feature, which was kind of would have picked up from here, and it was going to be like a Romulan Civil War or something. Do you remember this? Vaguely, but I was I was a real jerk because I was in film school, and my my response was just they would never spend the money to make that. That could never get made because no one's going to spend that much money because it would be too expensive for what you're describing. Which mm-hmm. you know, in retrospect, was a real pricky thing to say. <laughs> so I, I apologize. You would never right do now. that, Brian. I know. I'm, I'm I'm no. I'm a nice guy now. You know, people who knew me back in the day, I was a, I was a jerk, but now I'm a nice guy. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I give you a belated apology, but my point in, in bringing that up uh, was that even for you, I think that this episode seems to have this this storyline, at least this concept of this underground movement for reunification between um, Romulus and Vulcan. Uh, sparked something in you as well you know is in inside of the star trek timeline i mean 
Right, right. I think I think it's it's kind of like you alluded to at the top. I mean, it's it's kind of a geek fest in the sense of you know it's linking this, the film Star Trek Six way back when. You've got Leonard Nimoy coming in. You've got. Um, you know, uh, this episode has other elements, you know, like Sela uh, and so on, that make it interesting. But yeah, I think I think that was always there was always the potential of the the politics and the um, and how you know this whole Vulcan Romulan schism and doing something with that always had the potential to be big. And I mean, I, I enjoy. I, I'm not. I don't always enjoy the kind of political episodes, but this one I always always liked because of all those things together. And I do think it's cool how they. Later, you know, this is a springboard really for the you know last two treks in a, in a sense. And but yeah, I don't specifically remember <laughs> all the details of what we discussed, but I, I kind of do. But uh, yeah, I think it was because to me this was like the maybe a way to to be cinematic and accessible to people, but still be in the universe, the Star Trek universe we know. You know, you guys remember what a big deal it was? <laughs> you know, I couldn't find oh, yeah. the data, but I remember for my research for today's discussion. But I remember reading at some point in the past that Unification 2 was like the highest rated hour of Star Trek ever. I'm assuming that is still the case uh, and that my memory is correct about that. Um, sounds right. But it kind of would make sense. Mm-hmm. Leonard Nimoy is in, on Next Generation. Yeah. Um, I remember it not so much a big deal as far as... Um, as far as... Uh, ratings or exciting or something i remember what I, the main thing i remember about it is is the way that i took it for granted in a you know in, a, in a, put, put it another way you know if nimoy had been in the first couple seasons of next gen it would have been like what <laughs> you know because there was such this distinction between next gen and the original series there was such the sense of you know a lot of the original series and movies fans didn't want next gen or you know there was just not there wasn't this mixing it was so separate mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. even within the the producers we remember the episode Sarek. gosh was that that was second season right third i think but third okay mm-hmm. so still you know first two or three years mm-hmm. where they had to have like a multi-week argument to get to say the name spock in yeah. a scene <laughs> you know this concept of of mixing these two and the reason they were scared about doing it earlier on was because they wanted it to be able to stand on its own. Um, so that was one part of it. But then the other side of this were the fans that didn't have an interest in Next Gen, or they thought of them as separate, is my point. And that it that I, I wasn't conscious of that when Leonard Nimoy was on Next Gen. It was just really awesome that Leonard Nimoy was on Next Gen. I never had a thought about, you know, I can't believe he's doing this, or... or how weird it is to mix the two. You know, it never, mm-hmm. it, I didn't think that at the time. You know, yeah. they, they didn't mention, they alluded to Captain Kirk in this episode, but they never mentioned mm-hmm. his name. And I think it works. I mean, you don't have mm-hmm. to just throw it out there just because they allude to him, they don't say his name, and it's not a big deal. So it kind of satisfy, satisfies both ends of it. Gives, it. gives the fans a little bit, but not cheesy, being cheesy just to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Nimoy wouldn't have done this if he didn't think it was a cool story. Or I think, I mean, he was partially involved in coming up with the story, at least, um, like he was even in the, the later movies that, that he did not direct. You know, he was still involved in, in some kind of creative capacity. Or, um, you know, they asked him to be in Star Trek 
generations? And he said no, because it was a tiny little part, and that's why they ended up giving it to, you know, Jimmy doing that that size mm-hmm. role or or Walter. Um, but it, this episode is also like this. This thing aired at the, during the 25th anniversary. Gene Roddenberry had had just died a couple of weeks before this episode aired. Um, Star Trek VI was coming out as part of the 25th anniversary. You know, this was kind of the the launch of the nuttiness that would take us through the next few years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that we all sadly agree we're probably never going to see again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's amazing that hey guys, we're recording this in in April of 2014. Letter Nimoy is. 83? I think that's right. He's not going to be around much longer. He has that CPOD. He kind of announced that, you know, that's kind of restricting him a little bit and stuff like that. Um, He's not going to be around forever. Um, And Gene Roddenberry, if there's any, you know, the the number one guy for Star Trek is Gene Roddenberry, sure. Um, But a very close second for me is is Nimoy. Um, He's been through everything and not just as an actor you know as a writer and director um and then taking it all the way through to modern day with the jj stuff um there is this sense that star trek would just be would not be the same if it were not for him and 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 I, and I almost can't the only other person i can say that level with for me is um gene ronberry and I can't imagine the day. I mean, he was even in, in Into Darkness, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when I'm watching Unification, and he's every time he's on, I mean, he comes out at the end of Unification 1 and just says, you know, well, then you found him or something like that, you know? And it's just, I can't get over the legend status mm-hmm. in my mind. And for that reason, I enjoy watching this. I guess I got a little bit off topic, but... Um, no, it's okay. Well, let's talk about Spock. I mean, you know, I the scenes with him and Picard, I thought the 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 te- was it the teaser before the credits in the second episode. That's one of the best ones I've ever seen. It's a great scene between the two of them where they're kind of arguing back and forth. Picard tells him his dad's dead, and then. But yeah, you wouldn't quite expect that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they they you know you would think it would be a little bit more reverence that Picard would have, but no. I mean, they go right at it <clears throat> right off the bat, and um, they continue that way for them at least. Mm-hmm. The first half of the episode, and it's um, it's a joy. To, it's it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I kind of you know I kind of take that as two things. One that Picard at that point believes he may really may be defecting in some respect. You know, it could be a possibility. And second, that because of that meld, you know, he's got Sarek in him too, and and all that pent up, mm-hmm. you know, animosity, that aggression with their with their debates and so on. You know, yeah, that, that was my thought. Yeah, um, I like the. The Spock and Picard, Picard scenes, and I agree that first scene is good. I, that's the kind of that's a perfect example though of a scene where I feel like it could have probably been taken up, you know, made a little bit tighter, taken up one more level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the Spock data scene, the, you know, the main one. Um, there are Vulcans who aspire their entire lives to achieve what you've been given. That whole scene, as opposed to that scene where that scene is pretty much perfect for me. You know, it's 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 everything I could possibly hope for between those two. It, yeah. It's really 
really great. <laughs> I enjoy every single line. I get a smile on my face, the opening shots of that scene, because I know what that scene is. <laughs> um, and that's, not, that's for nothing other than my love of Spock and my love of Data. And these, you know, Data is the Spock character on Next Gen, you know, mm. and, and so crossing those, those paths is pretty, is pretty fun. It's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some good humor in, in actually both parts, too, I oh, yeah. think. I mean, you know, you have that, that. I think it's hilarious the Picard trying to sleep with Data standing over him. And stuff. <laughs> I mean, it takes, oh, yeah. it takes so much show. time, you know. They take, they, that takes, I don't know, a couple minutes or something. And, and so, so much of it is just silence and staring. It's like just a comedy routine or something. And, uh-huh. and then, of course, in the second one, I like the, the wharf and the opera thing. You know, he's standing there while she's playing his. You know what that made me think about, which I never thought before? Who writes Klingon opera? <laughs> if, if Klingons love opera so much, then they should love composers, and people should want to do that. But we all know that pretty much any yeah, yeah. vocation uh, for a Klingon other than warrior is looked down upon. Yeah, true. You know? So, well, we, just, we never got that episode, that kind of the... The inside the Klingon Empire, what the normal man does. <laughs> is this the introduction to Klingon opera, though? I think this is the first time, or no? Have we heard it uh, much before? I don't recall. Maybe yeah. they've talked about it and we've never heard it. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the line when Picard said, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to take my ears off. I thought that was kind of a little yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, the laugh out loud line, and I know I have a, a crappy sense of humor, but the laugh out loud line is, um, is data in part two to Sela. Perhaps he would enjoy yeah. <laughs> a different job. Yeah, that's right. that is good. Um, hmm. Well, you know, that would be one complaint that I have. You know, Caesar, you said you liked one part one more than part two. Um, I think the reason I I enjoyed two more than one, trying to be objective and not just say because of Leonard Nimoy, uh, would be because one feels a little bit like. There are moments where it feels like filler. There are moments where it feels like it's too drawn out. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, Mr. Dockichin, is that his name? His little, you know, his being annoyed with their coming to the shipyard. The shipyard quartermaster, Dockichin. Uh, mm-hmm. That whole little storyline, like, it just seems like it was unnecessary and didn't really add much. It added some flavor, but, you know. Well, they had to give Deanna something to do. <laughs> Sure, but I think if it was anybody besides Leonard Nimoy, they wouldn't have felt they wouldn't have spent an hour leading up to it, you know. And they could have done what they did in part two in really in, in one episode, basically. Yeah, I think. Probably. Um, be bad. Well, the reason I said I didn't like two as much, it was mostly because of the ending. It's really fast and it is, yeah, and and kind of. Okay, sure. You know, everything just kind of aligns up perfectly. They're left in an office by themselves. Like, I mean, who does that? <laughs> even even in a small, like, micro sense, it doesn't make a great deal of sense. You know, Captain, we need to hurry and get to our extraction point. But let's take the time for Spock to mind meld with Picard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a little bit weird. You know, and um, how are they able to beam back and forth to the ship? A ship has to decloak before somebody can beam in and out, mm-hmm. right? So, there's little just little things. I mean, it didn't by no means did it ruin the episode for me, but it was just kind of like, okay, let, we can't think of anything else better. Let's just do this. Well, it's the kind of thing where, as we've said many times, when it's firing on all cylinders, you don't notice that stuff. Yeah. You know, oh, no, I, no. Go, yeah. Go real quick, and another thing, I, I love how um, the whole dialect thing when they're at, you know like you know in 
<laughs> well, the scene's funny, but at the same time, it's it's not funny because it's like, well, they're really not speaking the same language, so how would you be able to tell the dialect? <laughs> anyway, but you have Data, but it's funny because Data's like, it's a misconception that such and such sound like this, so that was funny, so it was kind of double-edged for me. It was funny having uh, Stephen, what's his name, Stephen Root in part two. Did you guys rec- even recognize oh. him? We were talking about that while you were doing a sound test. Um, yeah, I did. I learned that. I saw him in the credits, and I'm like, Stephen Root's in this, and it took me till the second episode. Yeah, you always can you tell it's him. It's great. I love Stephen Root. Yeah, um, I mean, my favorite thing ever, ever for him is, is always going to be um, Office Space. Oh yeah, uh, Milton. But no, we were just watching. Was it um, Boardwalk Empire season three? I think. Yeah, he's good in it. Yeah, he's great in it with the fish, <laughs> fish bowl. Anyway, um, yeah, Stephen Root. So it was he's he's such a chameleon because you you never even realize it's him until you see the yeah. credit. Um, let's see. Um, we talked about Sarek's scene. We all kind of love that. Not too big a deal that they killed him off. Never never bothered me. I I remember Mark Leonard not liking the fact that he I mean, he didn't even know at the time because he. They didn't say it in his scene, and he only saw his scene writing-wise, so he didn't know until he was like at some convention or something, and somebody told him, hey, in that episode, (laughs) (laughs) your character's dead. He's like, what? Uh, But it never... uh, I don't think it was a bad... I thought it was was a nice nice way. The the episode was about Spock. He's not in it, but it's about him. Star Trek (laughs) 3, he's not in it, really, except, (laughs) you know, very limited capacity, uh, but the entire movie is about him that's how huge the character of spock is folks he has episodes and movies that are all about him that he's not even in (laughs) you know that's the other thing i'm just one more thing last thing i wanted to say about this legend concept there was a time when it was like kirk and spock when it was shatner and nimoy do you remember that Mm -hmm. but that's not what it is anymore and i think that's partially shatner's fault because he had the chance to kind of stay into the stay in this franchise, and he didn't. You know, like in Enterprise, he was gonna. I know it was probably would have sucked fine, but he could have been in Enterprise. But he wanted like you know more money than they spend on the whole season or something stupid. Yeah. Um, he could have he could have done a better job of lobbying for something on the JJ stuff. But the way that he kind of thumbed, I don't know. I like him now. You know, I love him sure, but I'm I'm just saying that he has not. Um, well, he's done more lately. He does his he own. He hasn't maintained stuff. his legacy. I don't think that Nimoy has gone out of his, has tried to do it. That's just, it's just who he is, and that's why he's more successful. Is because he's it's naturally what he's done. But it, my point is just to say that I'm surprised it went this way. I don't think we saw that coming, um, where Shatner is Kirk from the original series, and Nimoy is Spock from all of Star Trek. Right. You know. Yeah. Anyway, um, I love Shatner. Well, don't write I don't, it. Yeah, I don't. I do. Of course, I do. I don't know if I agree with you, but we'll go ahead. <laughs> um, hmm. What do you suppose about this? Um, this last time we see Sela. I think it's. Fine. She's kind of. It's kind of doesn't matter much that she's <laughs> she's in it. You know, it could be anybody really. You think that's part of the reason? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it. 
so much of the interesting part about her character was her origin and the shock of it. And once that reveal was done, um, she's cool. I like her, but she she doesn't stand out so much anymore as a Romulan. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was kind of like a bad Bond, Bond villain in this episode. You know, she kind of just told, <laughs> gave what gave what you know. It was it just reminded me of an old a bad. Oh, like Bond. explaining everything. Over explaining everything and then just leaving him in a situation where yeah. he can easily escape. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of silly, but I like her line about whenever she's frustrated with um, Spock and she says, "I hate Vulcans." Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, well, the whole concept of unification is an interesting one. Um, well, I should say reunification, as Spock insisted it be called. Apparently. Um, yeah, I found it. I found it interesting. You know, the whole. I like the concept. You know, like I'm changing. Um, you know, Romulus for, with the young, and you know, you know, uh, it's like an information movement. And I was. You I know, have back a hard to, time though imagining, like Vulcans. How do they reunify with these people unless these people abandon emotion, basically? Like, I, I seems like there's, there's is only one direction, unless you just want to be, like, allies and friends, that's different. Mm-hmm. But to, like, be that integrated, it seems like it would be too much of a fundamental lifestyle change, more for the, the Vulcans than their Romulans. Well, I think Spock um, explained it best towards the end, you know, when he was explaining why he was had to stay. I mean, he basically said it could take 10 years, it could take centuries, but... He he basically said it would be more of the Romulans that would change towards the Vulcans than the other way around. That's the kind of way I took it. Uh, you know what I I not to change the subject again, but when he said that line, it could take years, centuries. I just thought about JJ Star Trek. Like, no, it won't take that long because you're just going to destroy the whole planet. Yeah, the planet, <laughs> yeah. On, the planet you're standing on in right now, the cave you're in, mm-hmm. it's just going to be gone. Yeah, gone, gone. Yeah, let's not even get into that because um yeah because the the J, watching this episode kind of made me mad about the JJ JJ movie so let's we'll, we'll move on. Which is funny yeah. since you know, even the writers have admitted that this was the the launching point for that script. You know, if we if if we take solace in the whole prime versus prime line, timeline versus JJ verse timeline, you know this concept that there's two timelines that's cool. But still, in the prime timeline, Romulus is just Vulcan might still be there, but the, but Romulus is gone. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I guess there's not a lot to say about the actual storyline, like even Unification Two, because it's it's very, it's a little bit talky and kind of procedural. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the the B storyline of Riker and the Enterprise you know, finding these Vulcan uh, missing Vulcan ships. And that's fine. And the 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 bar scene's a little hokey. I felt it looks a little hokey, and the piano stuff's a little hokey. But yeah, it's fine. I, um, you know, the A stuff, especially in especially in part two, it's very like, you know, uh, the pro council has agreed to see you. Great. Oh, I I'm suspicious, but I still have to go through with it. You know, it's very. Mm-hmm. It's just like here's I'm explaining for what's what's going on. Um, you're just kind of waiting for those character scenes that, that we've kind of already discussed. Uh, I think that's what overall makes it just feel a little bit slow for me. Like I said, if it was somebody besides Nemo, I'd probably, I'd probably think less of it. But it's it's still freaking Spock. So, um, 
I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm feeling like we've covered it. We spent about the same amount of time on this as we would for two separate episodes, which makes sense. Um, there's something that, and I think it's supposed to, but like when the pro council, uh, you know, he's being all fakey and says, oh, live long and prosper. <laughs> it's, it's, it's creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, we still get plenty of the Spock moments, though. You can tell that he's Spock is uncomfortable with that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's the half human, half half Vulcan Spock. But he he, he is. Um, even he has his line to Sila about. Um, I'm afraid I don't know much about uh, Romulan disruptor settings. You know, that was still him being. That was his sense of humor, basically, right? You know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, in a way that. Uh, pure Vulcan would not have said that one. So I, I think they did a good job kind of getting getting the dialogue right and things like that. Sure. Do we have anything for what this is about? Well, I mean, yeah, what I was um, just wondering, you know, like an episode like this, I mean, you know, if you think about it back in the early 90s, there was no social media like there is today, so I was thinking about like what how an episode similar to this would be made today. And, um, how you know communication evolves can evolve a society and stuff like that and so it's kind of what i kind of took a little bit of, it's part of it kind of took a little bit of that you know you see the romulus society and you and usually movements like that they start from the ground up and kind of what i took from it one thing that it's about yeah i think Steve. it's i think it's not um I don't think there's a, there's a there's a constant large what it's about to me. I mean, I think there are several little things, but like I think part of it comes in the the title of it. I think it's you know they use kind of the um, the notion of these two worlds coming back coming together to to also be like the um, you know finding balance in oneself, the emotion and the logic, and also how Spock and Sarek never really reconciled in the end. He he did that through. Picard, and to some extent, um, I think there also is something of a key with the the Spock and Data conversations in terms of uh, what are you what are you looking for? We all are all, all looking for something, you know. Some of us have what someone else wants, and you know, it's just coming together and uh, and finding those things um, together that we might not have separate. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the idea that. Of, of you know the multiple meanings for the title, and one of those being Spock sort of coming together with his father through Picard's uh, mind meld. Um, the reverse of that is is watching it this time um, was the first time that really did seem like a sad thing to me. That like I really felt this 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 idea that they never did reconcile. Mm. And, and and for the first time, I felt like maybe it was more Spock's fault than Sarek's. I never mm. thought that before, but I thought that watching this episode, you know? Yeah. I kind of felt um, like it was his wife's fault. <laughs> but, but almost like Spock didn't, Spock didn't care enough. Yeah. Right. You know? Um, mm. And Sarek did, you know? I don't know. So it was the first time that seemed kind of sad to me. And again, maybe that's one of those differences from... Uh, growing up, having your own kid or something—it's like it's the kid's fault. Again, <laughs> lazy kid. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, unification. Let's do six degrees for unification. Um, Adam. Yes. Malachi throne 
or is it Malachi Throne? I actually don't know how to pronounce his name. Plays Romulan Senator Pardek, Spock's longtime buddy that turns out to be a traitorous bojo or all-around swell guy if you're in the Romulan government. In the original series, he played Commodore Mendez in the only two-parter that show ever featured. Name it. Um, what the hell is the name of that show? Is it that... The Cage is the pilot, or is that the show? You're right, The Cage is the pilot. Okay. Oh, I can't remember the name of the episode. How about it, Steve? Uh, menagerie, the Menagerie. You're correct, it was the Menagerie. Steve Throne also provided the voice of the Keeper in both the Cage and the Menagerie. Uh, the fellows with the large heads that communicated without opening their mouths. Name the species. Um, Talosians. You're correct, Talosians. To Neil, moving on. A Matter of Time, Season 5, Episode 9, Production Number 209. Original air date, November 18th, 1991. Directed by Paul Lynch, written by Rick Berman, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Matt Frewer as Berlinghoff Rasmussen, Stefan Girash as Hal Mosley, Sheila Franklin as Felton, and Shay Garner as Female Scientist. The Enterprise makes its way towards a planet known as Penthar 4, where a massive asteroid has struck an unpopulated continent. As they travel towards the planet, an unexplained ship appears, and a strange man materializes before the crew. The man reveals that he is Professor Berlinghoff Ransmanson, a historian from the 26th century Earth, who has traveled from the future to study the Enterprise. Although the crew is suspicious of Ramathis, his presence arouses their interest in the future. What if I were to tell you they all died? What then? Obviously, you'd decide not to make the same mistake twice. Now, what if one of those people grew up... Yes, Professor. I know. What if one of those lives I saved down there is a child who grows up to be the next Adolf Hitler? Or Khan Singh? Every first-year philosophy student has been asked that question since the earliest wormholes were discovered. But this is not a class in temporal logic. A matter of time. Steve, you want to start us on this one? Um, okay. I, uh, I, this, I always remember this, I think, because, you know, it's like Max Headroom and all that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I like it fine. I think it's kind of the same, gets to be the same old, same old as it goes. And you, you know, you know, while you don't necessarily know where it's going, it's, uh, it's kind of gets, the pace is a little slow, I think, to me. Um, I like it fine. I think, um, but um, it it does it, it feels if anything it feels like it could have been made in an earlier season or something to that effect. Um, yeah, it's weird. It has the look of later next gen, mm-hmm. but kind of the, some of the writing and feel of earlier next gen. Yeah, sure. It's not Picard's best episode. Well, it's weird to me. I think. T- I don't know if I had this problem with it before, but it, but it does feel in a way like the whole thing is like so, even from the very, very, very beginning, it's like some stranger shows up on your ship and you're like, well, let's just give him the run of the place. Right. Because I believe that he's from the future. Even if that was true, how does that entitle him to the, I don't, I don't know. The whole thing just feels weird. Mm-hmm. It yeah. makes, it makes him look a little naive and silly, you know. Picard. Yeah. 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 Especially. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you should be skeptical the entire time. I mean, when, when does he offer like proof? Really? I mean, you know, sure. Let's analyze his ship. It's obviously unknown, but that doesn't mean that he's from the future. You know, so 
but even if it was all like, yep, we just proved he's from the future, still, how does that just mean somebody can just right. walk around your ship and pass out questionnaires? Yeah. That feels weird to me, you know? Um, and it and it permeates the episode from start to finish. I think that you 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 have to let go of that. You have to try to let go of that to even watch the episode. So, assuming I let go of it, um, there are some things in it that I enjoy, and I agree. I've always loved um, uh, what's his name? Fewer, fewer, Matt Fewer. Is that his name? Yeah, Fruer, Matt Fruer. Fruer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked him in in other stuff too. You know, I actually I do some some work for a company that does uh, extras. You know, like value added material for um, DVDs. And I had the chance to work on some Max Headroom stuff, and he had zero interest. He would not do a single interview about it. Hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to work on this. <laughs> I just wanted to ask him about Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, so I, you know, I am. I'm definitely a fan of his. I've liked the movies he's been in, the Zack Snyder movies he was in. He was great, you know. Um, and even here, he doesn't have a lot to work with, but he really like kind of chews it up, and I enjoy it. And like the way he speaks is so unique and cool, mm-hmm. you know. I like I like his voice. Um, I believe it when he's hitting on on Crusher. I really do. There's something there um, that that kind of works. Um, uh, the the most memorable scene in the this show is uh, the Picard Rasmussen scene. You know when Picard's trying to convince him to basically tell him about the future, mm-hmm. which is so un-Picard like. But the whole crux of the scene is Picard explaining how he can let go of these convictions if he if he truly believes it's for the greater good. In this case, he's making this exception. You know, and he convinces me. You know, and I like that scene. And if this whole episode exists, if nothing, if for no other purpose, than to have Picard show me just how smart a guy he is, you know, um, so that he can be greater than these convictions, he can question these things when they need to be questioned. Um, that's probably that's probably worth it. Um, I do also kind of remember like the um, well you know before I move on we should talk about that scene you guys thoughts on that that scene I'm talking about the Picard Rasmussen tell me about the future scene yeah it's a, it's a good scene it's a strong scene for Picard um, his, and you get to see his intellect and full power there um, yeah, I, it was pre- I mean, yeah I would agree it was probably the best scene in the episode yeah, I like it because it, as you alluded to, it it uh, raises uh, you know ethical questions and so on. I mean, we don't we don't have that those kind of incidents in our regular life where someone can tell us the future and do we take that information or not. But uh, you know, in sci-fi, you can portray those kind of ethical issues. And and Picard raises points that uh, you know usually Star Trek is all about don't change the timeline don't change the timeline don't mm-hmm. change the time, you know and so you get this like hey you know it's about lives you know so if it's about that this is my timeline it's I can do you know my future your past you know etc yeah yeah I like those you know your past is my future and as far as I'm concerned hasn't been written yet I like that mm-hmm. 
that sequence. You know, I don't think it's we get to what it's about. Maybe that's kind of what you guys will pick. But I don't, I don't know that it would be fair to say that's what this. That would be a worthy thing, a worthy theme to explore for the for an episode. That would be a worthy question to ask for an episode. I don't feel like that's really in any other scene except that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, agree. And that's, 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 that's the kind of reason where it feels as overall a little weaker. Yeah, maybe if I made the whole episode about that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know what's funny? I was watching, so I got got to the end, and I'm like, the episode that I kind of wanted to see is where Data actually got kidnapped and taken back to the 22nd century, and we get to see him interact with <laughs> the people, and then you know he has to find his way back. But they do that episode later on, so let's see it. Hey, you know, every time I see this episode, what I'm reminded of, I always want to know what the heck happened to that ship. It's like it actually yeah. appeared somewhere. Mm-hmm. I guess I had to go back to the 22nd century. That's the only thing I could think That's of. That's where it was programmed to go. Yeah, somebody can chime in if that was ever brought up in a book. Oh, that re- that reminds me. I want to thank um, longtime listener uh, Renee Emres did confirm uh, Leffler and Shelby is in Peter David's New Frontier series. Okay. Um, so thank you very much for that. And if anybody knows what happened to that time ship, <laughs> let me know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and and actually, even even though it is very '90s looking, um, I still get a kick out of like the time ship, mm-hmm. you know, and the way it looks in the inside, and that is kind of cool to go on the inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you know what this episode it, it takes me into that void, that two-parter Voyager where they go back in time to, you know, and there's that Ed, ba- Ed Bagley Jr. plays that uh-huh. um, yeah, f- kind of that Steve Jobs guy uh-huh. who stole all that technology. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that those two this always this episode towards the end kind of reminds me of that episode of those two that two parter in Voyager. I can't remember the name of the, the, the episodes, but the B storyline. I think that's one of the things too. It even kind of looks like down down on the planet at least. It looks a little bit like the we've seen like even those those tech outfits they're wearing and stuff. It it does look like the first couple of seasons, but everything on the ship is like all modern next gen. Um. I like the name Berling Berlinghoff Rasmussen. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Like the, the when the first line of my notes is Professor Berlinghoff Rasmussen from the future. <laughs> That's great. Come on, what do you want? Um, but hmm. what is this episode about? <sighs> I think we can go with what we were talking about earlier, the whole Picard thing. <laughs> Well, see, like I said, I don't know that that's, it's just that one scene, though. But I think that's kind of what the episode... I mean, yeah, I mean, it's only one scene, but it's probably the best thing you can come up with what this episode's about, because it's mm-hmm. kind of... I always thought it was, it was kind of sad, though, when he's, like, obviously desperate to get back on the, yeah. the ship, and he knows it's going to disappear, you know? Uh, and I don't belong here. You know, he does... <laughs> he does want to get back to Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you know that that's never going to happen. I would have liked to have seen them revisit that character somehow. I have no idea how they would have done it. But right, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have anything else otherwise, unless you kind of go the route of, you know, not judging a book by its cover or you know being manipulated and and so on. But yeah, I, don't know. I like the uh, FX work when the Enterprise kind of absorbs all the stuff from the atmosphere and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, actually really cool. Um, and uh, I got nothing else <sighs> I think the unification talk kind of took a lot out of me so I, you know I don't I don't 
I think uh, I believe this is the last time Rick Berman is going to write a next gen script. Hmm. Uh, I think it's I think it's a much better script than um, what was the the brothers one the family one that he the the one he did um, you know with Lore and Data and Doctor Soon the brothers or yeah it was called brothers yeah, yeah. Um, I mean obviously for the lore of it thank you um, <laughs> that's more fun but this is probably a better a tighter script it doesn't have the kind of problems that one had but um, yeah let's move on to. Six degrees for a matter of time. Um, Steve has two. Adam? Yes. Matt Frewer plays the future past, not really a professor thief known as Berlinghaus Rasmussen. He is, as Steve mentioned, very well known for playing Max Headroom in a variety of TV shows and series. Max also became the spokesman for what product in 1986? <laughs> um, Coca-Cola? I'm... Gonna have to be more specific. Max became spokesman for Coca-Cola soda. <laughs> <laughs> what Coca-Cola product exactly? Oh, New Coke. That's right. Thank you, New Coke. Oh, that shows our age that we know that one. Um, I did not give Steve that question because he he grew up in a soda household and it was not Coke. Yeah, uh, I can't, I can't say that word. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the Star Trek customizable card game, Rasmussen's time travel pod was an artifact card. What the, did it do? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I was really into this game when it was the time. It's been a long time. Um, gosh, it was one of those. I'm going to give you one hint. It was one of the, the reason I asked it. And I always remembered it is because it was obviously uh, one of those pictures that they kind of you know photoshopped just for the card. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a picture of the time pod in a different location. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It's been a long time. <laughs> Gosh. I... Does it just, like, wipe out everyone at a location like it never happened? I don't recall. No. I don't suppose you remember, Adam. Um, does it um, time warp one of your character cards? No, you're close, though. Here's exactly what it says. Place in hand until played once as an interrupt card on any ship. That ship travels into the future, disappears for up to five turns. Pre-announce oh, the return yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yikes. All right. Uh, I'm going to uh, WonderCon this weekend. There's not anything... Like official Star Trek, but there's some fun like unofficial Star Trek stuff that I'm sure I'm gonna I'll, I'm sure I'll hit while I'm there. Mm-hmm. Mostly, there's doing a, DC is doing a lot of big Batman stuff. It's a 75th anniversary of Batman. I did. Oh, not. yes, I heard something about that. Yeah, um, so that'll be cool. Yeah. You guys oh. anything? I was gonna say I saw Captain America. I enjoyed it. I know because the reason I bring it up is because we were talking about you know the unification and Star Trek Six and how the show and the movie kind of coincided. That's kind of what they've been doing with the the Shield show and um, the movies. So basically, the last episode took place right at the same time as all the stuff that was going on in Captain America. So it was kind of that's kind of. Cool. It's it's neat to see. It's in that they've been kind of leading up to it and everything. And then there's different. They're not main characters, but there's like secondary characters that are both in the show and in the movie. So it's um it's kind of cool. Has the Shield show been picked up for another season? Um, I don't know. Um, 
but it's it's gotten I, I couldn't tell you but it's it was kind of weird I wasn't sure because they would it would go like a month or so without being on and I think the Olympics was part of that and then um, I think they were trying to line everything up with the um, release of Captain America so mm-hmm. kind of, so it has it's been kind of sporadic the last couple of months when it's been on and off hmm. all right folks well thanks for spending an hour with us um, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. And we are looking forward to the next three episodes of Next Gen in two weeks. Until then, take it easy. Bye. See you. I passed it.